Welcome into the Inside Bassmaster podcast presented by Black Rifle Coffee Company, episode 151. We're into season eight, Kyle. I'm trying to break these up by 50 episodes per season. So we're jumping into season eight now, episode 151. And what better way to kick off this new kind of, you know, segment of the podcast than to talk about the Bassmaster Opens. The St. Croix Bassmaster Opens just finished up last weekend at the Harris Chain. And I mean, you talked about it a few weeks ago. It when we did the college broad or the college bracket podcast with Chris Decker and Chase, you and Chris both said, if you've never watched the bracket, it's must see TV, bro. The Bassmaster opens with all that's at stake in the final event of a season of a nine event gauntlet. It was must see TV for the final event of the season for the final three events of the season. If something crazy could happen, it did happen for those three events. There's no doubt, and that's what's crazy is you know. Rewind to the beginning of this season. We talked about how much drama and how entertaining the EQs was going to be because it's more or less like its own separate tour in a way. You know, they got all these guys fishing all nine events uh, to make it to the finish line. And, you know, just from the the history of the opens, there was going to be some drama down the down the stretch. And uh, like you said, down to the very last day, you knew it was going to be like that. It was certainly like that got to see that on Bassmaster Live and uh it's special. I, I think I speak for a lot of people saying that uh I'm I'm anxious and and look forward to seeing what this turns into. I think it's only going to grow, only going to get bigger and uh yeah, no, I I think it was a, a massive success on year 1, I would say. Yeah, and I'll say this like the one thing that Bass if 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 I can speak freely that we've struggled at is awarding like giving a tangible award for true achievement we give out the trophies in the elite series second through 10th no trophy i get it top level we're we're not fishing for anything but first it would be nice to have a consolation trophy on the on the thing for a second or a third uh the bassmaster opens we do a first second third but when it comes to the to the deal winning a division doesn't matter anymore in terms of the points race you got to win the overall to get the bonus money but i'm glad that every single angler was able to get an elite series qualifier from the eqs because of the focus on it, I mean, we we put a lot of risk into making this system. We knew we would turn some people off with the EQs. Uh, we still probably have people, no matter how successful it was, that it doesn't fit what they would desire the Opens look like. So to them, they still don't like it. But for those who have bought in, absolutely phenomenal to see some of the biggest names in the sport jump in against some of the newest names in the sport. And you have them all mixing together on these vast playing fields in places we haven't been tough times of the year, good times of the year, craziness. And then it comes out to one of the most competitive seasons we've ever seen. So first off, got to say congratulations to the nine anglers who qualified. And if you're looking at the points race online, you look at the standings of the EQ points race and you look at the overall, uh, you're wondering maybe why Kyle Patrick snuck in there in 10th and qualified. I'm going to go ahead and give our kudos up front to Kenta Kamira fishing the, all the elite series events, fishing the classic and fishing all the opens 19 BASS events this year. I used to like say, yeah, Kyle, I'm covering a bunch of tournaments this year. We're covering 19 or 24 events on the road. Kenta Kamira covered 19 events on his own competing and fished a bunch of those days because he had a great elite season, I think top 25 in points or something like that. He's done that the last two years. And then fifth place in the Opens EQ for the nine events the last five, the last two years as well. So two top fives there. So congratulations to him, which means we skip him in the list and we go to the first nine 
non-elite series pros are now qualified for the elite series. So we skip him and we've got JT Tompkins. He's your points winner for the year. Congratulations. John Garrett right behind him, Trey McKinney, Robert G. Then you have Tyler Williams, Wesley Gore, Logan Parks, Ben Milliken, and Kyle Patrick. There's your nine. We said it before. I went to the final points race. You could go 31 through 40. Great rookie class. You could go 41 through 50. It would be a great rookie class. So what those nine anglers did this season was absolutely phenomenal. And we really haven't seen that highly of a competitive points race at the opens level through the top 10 in a long time. We have some really good classes and we've had some really competitive fields, but that was absolutely astonishing that you had to basically average getting a check in 40th place to make the elite series. You had to average you. If you fell below a check average, try again next year. Yeah, it's pretty insane. I mean, you knew it was going to be like that. Obviously we, you know, we've obviously hit on this. Like you said, you can go down and basically section each, you know, 10 guys or nine guys in the, in the open ZQ points. And you could easily justify those guys being the ones that qualify. But when you looked at this, the, you know, the roster at the beginning of the season, you knew it was going to be compelling because at the end of the day, you know, only nine guys can make it. So it's like, you start building this like imaginary roster in your head of what the nine are going to look like. And then you're like, well, that leaves out this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. It's like, well, that guy's not going to miss it. And then the next guy's not going to miss it. It's like, there's only so many spots, but you know, it is so competitive. And I don't think I'm speaking out of my, my bounds to say that it's only going to get more competitive and more compelling. Um, you know, I, I think that, that's what makes it great. I think that's what's going to continue making it more interesting for the fan and and for our audience as well. And I think it's a slow progress sometimes. There are some things where, you know, in NASCAR, you have to go and cross the finish line with the cougar on the front of your winch on the on the hood of your car, and it says me. You got to win two or three races before people are going to spend money with you and and decide to invest in that. And then there's sometimes where you can just smooth talk them and get the investment off the rip. With the opens and folks like St. Croix buying in to sponsor and headline that, um, folks like you know Phoenix to sponsor the live coverage aspect of it, and others who have sponsored the other live shows. Those are just some off the top of my head. You know, most recently, they weren't sure what it was going to look like this year when when we had all nine. Is it going to be similar to past years? Is it going to be competitive? What is the show's going to look like? Are these guys going to be ready? Who are we investing in? What are we investing in? Um, and so now I have hope going forward that this has set so many eyeballs focused towards this, even eyeballs that didn't want to see it work out positively. I know who you are, all you anonymous account. I see you coming. No, um, but the way it worked out, I think that this will only be beneficial. Ideally, payouts going to come behind this, more live show coverage. We did a great job on the water coverage with photographers and writers and the anglers did what they do best and catch the fish. So I think that it's it's a slow progress with so much tumultuous turnover in the industry um, that we could see that steady growth of progress uh, at that level and at the elite level, ideally, as things come that way. But uh, first thing, shout out to, to Bobby Lane, Kyle Austin. Something had to give on that final day at Harris Chain. There's got to be, there's got to be a, a first man out, got to be a second man out. Those two guys did it. Uh, they finished 11th to 12th, missing out on the Elite Series. 
But just for reference, how good their season was, Bobby Lane had 1,403 points and Kyle Austin had 1,400 points. They were three points apart from each other. They missed it by about 23 from qualifying. Bobby Lane's 1,403 would have had him finish fifth overall last year. He would have finished fifth overall and finished 11th first man out. That just goes to show you some of those other things. Uh, I'll go through the comparison. I'm looking at it, you know, right here on my phone. Last year's uh, EQ, you know, the overall Keith Poche, Cooper Gallant, Cole Sands, all that down the list. Uh, I'm looking at that one and swiping over and comparing this year. This year. So 1507 is what Poche uh, points wise to win opens AOI last year. 1507 gets you fifth place this year. Kenta had 1502. So first place last year, it would have been fifth place. And it wouldn't have just been fifth place. He would have been fifth place by 152 points. JT Tompkins wins Angler of the Year uh, with a 17th place average finish. A 200, you know, a 180 to 225 person field for the Opens. 180 to 225. And you averaged a 17th place finish. I think he made a top 25 every event after the first two or something like that. Um, his worst finish of the year was like 48th, like just missing out on a check. Phenomenal. John Garrett, uh, you know this story. I've said it, but also I'll tell it to the people again. First event of the year for the Elite Series, I get at the screen of knowledge, and I'm breaking down that the Opens are about to start in the next few weeks at Ufala, Alabama, first week of March. Here's some big name guys from, you know, college classic bracket winners of the past. And I mentioned John Garrett. I mentioned Ishman Rowe, Bobby Lane. I mentioned, mentioned some of these guys jumping in there from the old FLW tour. And then some of these veterans from the, you know, opens. And then even like a Ben Milliken, he started to be on people's radars that like, oh, shoot, he signed up and he's going to be invested in this. Let's keep an eye on how he does. I got done with displaying the nine event season and some of the big names that were in the opens. And John Garrett texted me and said, next screen of knowledge hit. You got to fix that. You got to let them know there's not nine spots available. There's only eight available because I'm winning Angler of the Year. Absolutely big gonads, cojones, put them in a wheelbarrow, walk them around. That's a huge statement to say. He didn't post it publicly, but he said that to me. And if you tell me something, I'm probably going to tell the world at some point what you said. And, uh, you know, in the most positive fashion. He missed out on winning AOI by 15 points, 16-44. Those two, I mean, the top five, six, everybody brought it. But JT Tompkins and John Garrett absolutely did not slip. The only time John slipped was the St. Lawrence River. He told us that. He played it safe for the first time all year, and uh, he got a good, decent, safe finish. But it was his worst finish of the year. Absolutely busted a bag on the final day of the season to jump in and close – that gap expanded at the Harris chain to 73. And I was like, dang, JT really ran away with it. And John said, well, it stinks you're not going to have a camera in my boat the final day because I'm going to bust a bag and win AOI. And uh, he almost did. I got up there and got within 15. Again, he actually gained and beat JT in the tournament. So kudos to those two running away with it. Um, 50 more points down to Trey McKinney. 70 points down to Robert G. We mentioned Kenta. Then you have Tyler Williams, Wesley Gore, Logan Parks, Ben Milliken, Kyle Patrick. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, any of those guys that you want to look down there? I mean, if we think about it, we will have um, we'll have Tyler, Ben, and Kyle all in the Classic and in the Elites. 
So they're not only bookending a great year of winning an event to go to the Classic, now they get to springboard that into an Elite Series season, and we're going to see them at all 10 Elite events slash Classic next year. Um, Logan Parks been a one person out the last year or so and then gets it done on the final day of the season. Wesley Gore, former college angler from Montevallo. Uh, we mentioned Tyler, obviously won an Open at Watts Bar. Then you have Robert G. from the University of Tennessee, You've got three or four college alums in our top 10. Our oldest guy is Ben Milliken. The old man is 34 years old. That's crazy. That is crazy that that's the oldest guy. Yeah, that is uh that's one of those stats that uh certainly certainly uh you know pokes out at you. I'd say the one thing that you know you kind of mentioned it with the, with the averages obviously you do such a great job with the uh the averages and the stats and everything of that nature but you know, it seems like every time we talk about the Opens, whether it be last year, the year before, the year before that, the year before that, it's like when you looked at the divisions, what it took, you know, average-wise to make the make the Elite Series, it was always so impressive. And I can remember like the Northern Opens, the year Iconelli and, and uh, you know, Jonathan Kelly and those guys qualified. It was Red like line. insane. But now as you're going over this, I'm sitting there thinking some of these stats – are as good as that, but it was over the course of nine events. Like that's insane. Like you can't put that into to words how impressive it is what these guys have done. All of them, based on you know the stat you said there with Bobby Lane, would have made it easily last year. Um, I think I think it goes back to you know the age old phrase out of the Bible. I mean, iron sharpens iron. Uh, and I think that these guys, you get to about the halfway point of the season, you're like, these guys aren't letting up. Like, there's no let up or give up in any of these guys. Like, if you want to stay in the top, top ten, top nine, um, you know, you got to put the, the put your foot down and keep going. So, um, really impressive stuff. Um, overall, I, you know, I, I'm sure obviously you got into to uh, some of the guys, and I'm sure we'll have some of the guys on the podcast moving forward. But, uh. Really, really a stellar season from each of those guys. And then the one thing I was going to say, I kind of lost track there. Um, I'm sure you were the same way, obviously, hosting live. But it was funny. Every time myself and Chase were, uh, Chase Sansom were looking at the list, we were like, okay, so it looks like this guy's going to be in. And then, and, you know, it's like, well, that leaves this guy out. And it's like, you couldn't even, like, it, it sucks. That's the part that really does suck is the guys that got that close um to making it and still didn't make it but i mean once again that just shows you how competitive it truly is yeah we were trying to think of like what's the best case scenario for bassmaster behind the scenes like we always do that like what what do you sure. want and then like what would be good for the league like what would be good for the elite series uh do we want the best of the best to make it or do we want maybe them to miss it their first year and we keep eyeballs on the opens and we still build that product you know you always have those conversations what what's the best and uh, my, I think I came up with the perfect scenario that was the best. And if it would have worked out this way, um, we somehow expanded the Elite Series field to 110 and we just invited the top 20 of the Opens. That would have alleviated everything. We just, you know what, you know what, actually, we're just going to bring you all in because dang, what a good season it's been. But there is, I mean, even Bobby mentioned it going into the Harris chain. I'm not fit. I didn't fish that great to my standards, to my abilities. We know Bobby Lane has the ability to rip off a 25, 30 average for nine events. And he didn't do that this year. He had his, you know, it did seem like some of the older, the older guys, the veterans of the tours, it took them two or three events to realize like, oh man, these guys have made every top 10 this year. 
like at the end of four events or three events, like the top seven had made, I think like seven of the top 12 had made every top 10 or something like that. Like, like absolutely. You you couldn't miss a top 10. Um, Even guys like Brett Cannon at the beginning of the year were on fire. And then somehow like you don't, they don't make it. And you're like, shoot, that's right. He was one of the hottest anglers in the league this year at the beginning, but it is a nine event sustained season. And man, I was, I have three spreadsheets on Excel. Excel is my best friend. You know, like if somebody had to ask me, who's your best friend year in a year out, doesn't let you down. I got a couple guys I could name, but man, Microsoft Excel, you're the, you're the OG. Thanks for keeping me grounded in all my stats and numbers, because on that final day, we had Bass Live rolling. We had strategic cameras. You know, we could have gone one through 10, but who knows? It's Florida in the fall. Somebody from 15th could have came back and won the event. So we kind of had to turn our, what's the storyline? Let's cover the top five because two of the guys are in the EQ points race with Milliken and Gore. Uh, we'll cover the top five and then we'll cover JT Tompkins because he's leading AOI by a large margin. So if John was to win it, it's probably because JP JT really like struggled. So let's, let's cover JT and we'll either see him win it or him give it away, whatever. Um, and then let's cover some of the guys that are right there just in the cut and just out. So we end up putting, uh, for our final five, we put JT on camera. We put Tyler Williams. We put Ben Miller, or Ben was already in. We put Kyle Patrick, Kyle Austin, and Bobby Lane. There's your five that we're going to add in there. And uh, boy, we got we almost nailed it, nail on the head. I couldn't feasibly put a boat, a camera in Logan Parks's boat after being 107th because at the end of the day, like he catches nine pounds on live or eight pounds on live, like that's what he did day one. Why did you put a camera? You know, so. I couldn't go that sure. far down, but anybody inside the qualification, I was willing to put a camera in their boat, especially on that line uh, where there was a lot at stake. So couldn't have had to play out any better. Um, but yeah, going into the Harris chain, here's here's a couple of ways that I thought about it. Um, you know, we we had Bobby Lane on camera. We were going to see what he, he was obviously the one who previewed it. We knew that, hey, he had a solid day one. First man out now, he's moved up. He's got to pass one dude. And, and he did that. He accomplished his goal and passed Kyle Austin in the standings. But we didn't think that Kyle was going to have four fish on the final day. We thought, you know, he'd guaranteed get a limit. You know, it was going to be close, whatever. Um, and then you have the factor of Logan Parks being 107th after day one. If he moved up to 70th, that's not a good finish. But that's 37 points that he was going to gain on the field. And to see the way in the gut, the different flights come in, and I'm sitting here like, well, Bobby's got to beat Kyle Austin by 38 places in the tournament to pass him in the standings. And then if Ben stays in the top five, did he do enough? Yeah, there's a 20-point gap. He should be he should be at least 10th. You know, and then you see Kyle Patrick come in with eight pounds again after risking it all and going to a popka. And you're like, well, that's not the best scenario, but did he do enough? And so it was absolutely somebody tweeted out and said, we need to do like an election day special of Ronnie in the studio doing the screen of knowledge with all the stats of every time somebody weighs in a bass, what's the implications of that bag and how does it affect the standings? And I'm meanwhile, I'm watching Blake Sylvester drop a bag on the final day to win the event. And then nope, Matt Messer caught one at the lock while he was waiting and he's going to win the event. And I can't wait to show that fish catch when I find it uh, in his, in his footage, but the, I couldn't have, we turn the cameras on, we tell FS1 we're going live and magic happens every single time. We couldn't look, it's 11 o'clock and Ben Milliken's locked out of a popka, 20 boats lined up and he's, he's got to wait 
and he's got no fish. And I'm like, holy cow, we thought a limit was guaranteed. He might not get a limit. And then, you know, the guys who were in a pop get, it wasn't that fruitful for all Kyle Austin, Kyle Patrick. They had to run out of a pop get to survive, you know, and crazy. Sure. Bobby Lane, JT Tompkins staying close, maximizing their whole day. Matt Messer going to a different like We saw Apopka predominantly. These guys probably stopped and fished in all the lakes, but we saw Apopka be a dominant lake for people's game plans. We saw Eustace with Tyler Lubot. We saw Griffin with Messer, Suckup, um, and then uh, Tyler Williams. We saw Harris. So we saw four or five of the eight lakes in play just with our cameras, the shots in the dark. So I couldn't have been more pleased to be on live with Matt Arian Such trying to figure out as it happened. Every catch, like I'll say one of my takeaways about an hour left in the show, I said, man, we came in and pitted Ben Milliken against Bobby Lane, 10th versus 11th. One of these guys is going to make it, one of them's not. And we almost said like, it's got to be one of those two. And then midway through the day after Milliken gets his limit, I'm like, actually, it's Bobby Lane, Kyle Patrick, or Kyle Austin. One like it, some mixture of these is is going to get screwed in this deal, and the other is going to just squeak in. And that's exactly how it played out. I was like, Milliken's arrow, he he did enough. He saved himself. Bobby's done enough, but there's so many factors with 180 guys going on the final day. Let's just say I don't ever want to do that again with 180 on the final day. But I'll say my heart rate was pegged all day. I was excited. It was it was worthwhile. That's the thing that's crazy too, as we were talking about this in the office was, you know, over the course of the season, like those guys that just barely missed, like what was the one thing that could have happened differently? Like, you know, there's a missed fish. There's a, a bad decision. There's like one singular thing. Like I said, whether it be just one fish that came off one day, you, you had four instead of five, which, you know, for most of these guys probably wasn't the case very often, if at all, but, um, yeah, I mean, there there is one decision or one fish that came off or one something that happened on one certain day that could have been six months ago or more, and that might have been the difference. And it's just crazy how how points work by the time the season wraps up because those things you just like as an angler, especially like those guys, you know, they will sit there and think about that and think about it and think about it again until next year starts. And uh, that's well, part of the thing that makes fishing so uh, so great as a competitor but at the same point that's like one of the hardest things to tell the story on like that's you know what I mean like I I don't it's a hard thing to co- like make somebody comprehend that's not a bass fisherman is that like you know it's same way with like baseball it's a 162 game season like one pitch in one game could have been the difference between you winning the division and being a wild card team or you know whatever it may be but it's like over the course of a fishing season like there was one decision, one, one lost fish, one, something that cost you being, you know, in 11th place out of, out of the top 10. And uh, you know, it, it might've been in that tournament, but it could have been the very first tournament. Like that's, what's absolutely crazy. And you have to keep your focus and, and uh, bring the same intensity from start to finish. That's what's wild about it. Well, and you can look back at it and be like, I had a two pound culling penalty and lost sure. 15 points at the third event of the year it screwed my week up, but man, those 15 points would have been useful. But when you think about it, like then you're going to, if you have those 15 points to your credit, let's just say it didn't happen or you, you, you did land the fish that you're supposed to lose. That changes your approach in the next event. 
Like, sure. like if, if Bobby Lane is in the top 10 going into Harris chain, he's going to fish the Harris chain differently than if he was outside the top 10, he's going to fish it safer or he's going to do this. Uh, like the, I, that's why I admire Kyle Patrick. He is inside the, the cut survives day one, but it's not to his standard. He says on the phone, Ronnie Moore, I'm not going to be a, you know, some word I can't say on the podcast tomorrow and, and tri- play it safe. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to a popka because I feel like if I, I got to catch a bag, I got to assume that everyone's going to catch them big. I got to go catch a bag. He doesn't catch a bag. He goes there and risks it though, comes back, saves his day once again in those canals in Harris. And then he ends up making it by the, you know, the hair on his chinny chin chin barely, but those decisions will galvanize a Kyle Patrick when it's the final event of the season for the elites to go to the classic. It's a different stage for sure, but you're not going to be afraid to take that gamble. We want to negate to playing it safe all the time, but to see him in that moment, play it big. Um, But yeah, all those things, Kyle Austin waited four on the final day of the season. And he said, you know, you say it 162 games for baseball. We could watch every cast and still, we may not see the fish that's that, that, swirls on a swim jig as it comes out of the water you didn't hook it you didn't miss it you didn't lose it it just didn't get it or it just didn't bite do you count that as a loss but that was an opportunity i met i saw the fish and i didn't get it and that could have been the one he he weighs in four he actually lost one he said four to five pounds let's just say it's four pounds that gains him 40 points in the standings because he goes from four fish to a limit adds four points to his credit goes from 18 and a half to 22 and a half and he ends up being up there and and he's in or bobby lane said he lost one on the final day at the harris chain would have got him in um there's so many scenarios of that and that's why it's so cool every decision affects the next decision if a guy lands every single fish up to that point in the year and he has a hundred point lead, he maybe plays lackadaisical in the last two events and ends up, uh oh, I, I just gave away all these points for no reason. So to see them all press the gas as hard as they could for nine events, we got the best points race that we could have possibly asked for. Um, man, got an 18 year old. I mean, Trey McKinney, we were talking about this in studio. Jay Shakira is the youngest Elite Series champion ever. 23 and a half years old, roughly 23 years and change. Trey McKinney will be in the middle of his fifth season on the elite series. Still with the ability to break the youngest winner ever in the elite series. He's going to start the elite series. And on the final day of the first event, he'll be, he'll turn 19. So he'll be 19 his rookie year, 20, his second year, 21, his third year, 22, his fourth year. And then he'll turn 23 at the beginning of his fifth year and halfway through the season, he'll still have an opportunity to be the youngest elite series champion ever. That is absolutely crazy. I don't drink. I've never drank alcohol in my life. He'll be in his third season on the elite series before he's legally able to do stuff that most adults that are getting into the opens are allowed to partake in. That is mind blowing what this kid's accomplished. You got a couple 21 year olds in JT Tompkins and uh, Tyler Williams. You got a couple 24-year-olds in probably like Wesley Gore, Logan Parks. They're probably very, very close in age. Then you've got Kyle Patrick and John Garter in the 26 to 28 years old range. Um, and then uh, who else am I forgetting? Have I mentioned everybody? Well, you Robert also, G. You also- Robert G's in that 24 range. Like he just graduated college last year. Like, and then you get a 34-year-old Ben Mill Ben Milliken. Crazy. I think that the the one thing that's a little misleading there uh is that you know logan parks fished in college for 14 years so 
he, you'd think he's in his mid twenties, but I think Logan Parks is actually forty seven years old. <laughs> he's just now getting around to fishing the open. Yeah, I I would fish no, I'm in just, college. I'm if, just if kidding. I, if I won half a million dollars in a in a tournament, I would be like, you know what? I'm gonna get three master's degrees until Hank says I gotta leave or Glenn Kale says I gotta leave. I'll I'll stay. <laughs> and I, I'm just saying that giving him a hard time. Yeah. He didn't fish in college for that long, but people do like to give him a hard time about that. So I hope he gets to hear that and gets a good chuckle out hey, of that. Him and Cal Culpepper are on their way to AARP as we speak. They've been in college for a <laughs> yeah. while. Um, so absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Um, now we kind of have to, you know, if do you have any other thoughts about the the race? It's going to be, we say it every year, one of the best rookie classes. I can't wait to see who comes in later this week in the nation championship to fill in that spot um the final spot of the elites then we'll be able to make the announcement of who's on the roster and everyone will be able to decipher who didn't make it back for the year um you know there's still some retirements that are still probably getting mulled over right now for current elites all kinds of things to change but um absolutely could be one of the one of the it's the youngest elite rookie class ever but definitely has the most promise um man the average age of the elites just got really a, a whole lot younger Well, that's one thing I was going to say. So like, you know, just since we brought the podcast back, I don't know how many times we've said something to that degree of like, oh, this is the best rookie class ever. Since I was an intern at JM, all I remember hearing is like, this is the best rookie class ever. This is the best rookie class ever. It's one thing to like say that in a podcast because it's like the thing to do. It's like similar to like when your favorite football team loses and the head coach gets up there and talks. He's like, oh, I think we're getting better here and better here. I don't want to hear it. Like, I'm tired of hearing it. I firmly believe, like deep down, it's now show me, show me it. Yeah, this it's true. Like, and and it's coming off of the. We just had Joey Sefuentes win two in his rookie year. Kiyoya Fujita win one. Will Davis Jr. We had four wins from rookies, and we still think this could be a better class. That's crazy. It's true. Like, if it if it ever so does or does so happen to where the uh, rookie class just overwhelmingly like underperforms, we'll let you guys know. Like, we'll (laughs) we'll say it. We're gonna be honest. Like, if somehow these nine guys come in and they're just they're just awful that year we'll let you know but i mean it is the honest truth and i know you believe it too like it is insane like every year it's like well it's just getting better and for a lot of people like let's be honest like you look at look at the the names um obviously incredibly young top to bottom a handful of these guys you know like naturally you know people don't know at large like we do because we haven't you know they haven't covered them or paid attention to them since they were in college since they were you know, in, in Trey McKinney's case, fishing as a five-year-old, like, <laughs> I mean, you know, we have a, a really good read on these guys because we've covered a lot of them prior to their success in the open. So it's not like, you know, some of these guys might not be household names, but like, I think, you know, people that have paid attention and been around and seen it know just how good these guys are. And, and like, I have no problem having the same conversation at the end of the elite series season uh, this year and pretty confident that the conversation will be like, yeah, these guys did exactly what we thought they were going to do. And like I said, if they don't, we'll, we'll let you know, we'll, we'll be fair either way. So I've got this group text, not this group text. I've got this text from, from, I believe his name's Rick. I I always forget space on it, but he is uh, Trey McKinney's handler. We'll just call him Trey McKinney's handler. I don't know what relation he may have with him. I, I just, it's always refers to Trey he texts me all the time of what they're doing in the team trail, the success. Trey won BFL, uh, Illinois AOI again this year. 
After last year being the first year to do it as a 16-year-old, he won it as a 17-year-old, made the All-American, did all these things, and then he goes and decides to get in the Opens and then qualifies his first year. And, you know, like the whole McKinney, you know, if you don't know Trey McKinney, he is Trevor McKinney's cousin. Trevor McKinney, absolutely one of the best college anglers and high school anglers of all time. And Trey said, I'll one-up you. I'm not even going to fish in high school. I'm just going to go straight to the semi-pros and compete and make it. Like, and it's two different breeds of anglers as well. I feel like Trevor McKinney is in the John Garrett category of old soul in a young man's body. The way he fishes, he is absolutely phenomenal. And so to see some of these young names that, yeah, I've been getting texts from from CIA operatives letting me know of these young guns coming up through their local trails and stuff. You know, we got Kyle Patrick's been sleeping in his truck since Nam. you know, wherever he's been, just trying to make it work. And you get Robert G. And I told Robert on the phone, hey, you know, pardon me. I didn't, I, I project a lot of college guys to go and make it. And you see their talent, you know, I missed on you. I just didn't know, you know, necessarily that's my fault. Tell me a little bit about you. And, and as humble as he can be, he's like, you know, I didn't have the best success, but, but man, I, I fished and I was confident fishing by myself or with a partner. And I really had a lot of different partners. So I never really like had that rapport with someone to do well, but we were leading team of the year until I had boat issues at Norfolk. And then, and then Minetti finishes out Wednesday, you know, like, and it's like, shoot, I didn't know. I, I'm I'm a little getting farther and farther out of the loop. That's why you and Chase Sansom and Dalton Tumble and other guys are important to I, me and Logan Crumley and covering college now is I'm now old. I just turned 30 this summer. I, I, I'm not even allowed to go to college events anymore because I'll be like, who is this mothballs guy over here? You know, he's so I need that. But when I see these names pop up from when I was covering college just a few years ago to now and I'm like oh boy they stayed with it they still focused in they had the desire and now here they are in the in the opens now making the elites it's cool that's that's one thing I do want to I do want to say and I I, I am telling the 1000% truth here after the first year we did the college prospects the first <laughs> event I guess was Harris chain I want to say um and there was two people Two teams I apologized to in person for them not being on the list because I thought they probably should have been on it. And it was it was Connor Jacob and Sam Smith at Auburn, and it was Robert G. I apologized to his face because I said, you probably should be on there. Um, you know, and I, I will also agree. I'm not sitting here saying, like, he would have been, like, no, top no, of the list. But, but like forgetting that moment, yeah. Certainly, yeah. It was certainly one of those guys we left off the first time, and now it's like, it. it I mean, if nothing else, it kind of just speaks to the – truth in the depth of of quality anglers in the college series which we've talked about and just beat to death honestly over the last couple months but it's the truth i mean this guy wasn't on the college prospect list and he's an elite series angler now like this is a guy that we left off of a list of like 25 teams and he's an elite series angler now and i mean think about the amount of other we've talked about this of course but the amount of other elite tiers anglers right now that also fish in college and didn't have just an endless amount of success. I mean, like, I think about, a lot of, people, yeah, like I, like I'll even say with I mean, Bethel, like Bethel had so many good anglers that would KJ queen being the first one from Bethel to make the elite series. Not on my, like that would have been sure. DraftKings would have sure. cashed in on that one or whatever. You know, it's like, yeah, that was, yeah. that was not, you know, I would have said Cody Huff or Cole Floyd or John Garrett or, you know, uh, Zach Parker, like there's just so many guys that you were like, holy cow. And then KJ, you just don't know what some of these guys are made of. 
it's like it's oh, like yeah. my boy Jonathan Gannon, you know, my the Cardinals head coach. You got that fire in your gut. You got the fire in your gut. Well, it sound if some of these guys did, and we're seeing that. And and I'll before we kick it to uh to the schedule for next year for the next batch of guys we're already looking at next year. Major shout out to Ben Milliken. Um, I, you know, people painted me as a hater of him somehow. I don't know. I I never have hated him specifically. Have I spoken out against the prototypical YouTubers who who caught him on camera when no one's watching and they're they're fishing and and catching them and then they make a video and then they are like this guy's better than the elites okay buddy okay buddy and then when you see them jump in the opens and they do nothing you're like I was correct well in this one if I had that prototypical he's a YouTuber he's not going to do well then I was wrong but. If you look at it from the way I was saying, I hope he sheds a light on the opens and the competition side of it on his YouTube. And if he's got the fire in his gut, he's got the determination. He's not in it for the wrong reasons. He's in it because he wants to test himself. He wants to see it. And if he makes it, he's going to accept it. He's going to go be a part of the elite series because this is what his goal is. He's cut from a different cloth. That's what Ben Milliken is cut from a different cloth. There are very few people on the internet that talk the talk and can walk the walk in that aspect, in that avenue, he was one who did it. So absolutely phenomenal season for him. Um, very proud of his adversity on the final day. Now, I will say, if someone wants to clip this off and send it to him, they probably will. A PSA, not everybody is out to get you. I know in crowded fields or field flips and someone's fishing your spot, that's going to be a thing on the Elite Series, and that's not because anybody's trying to get you. It's because these guys are really good, and they find the same stuff. There may be circumstances, but they're only out to get you if your tires are flat at the ramp. That's the only way they're out to get you. Otherwise, it's the sheer competitive nature of these guys, um, and we got to see the adversity on that final day. 11 a.m., no bass in the live well. Got to get through a, a lock to get to his fish that he contemplated going to early but decided not to. And then comes in clutch and catches him in his Kobe Bryant jersey. I love the swag. I love it. I've got the same jersey, except it's gold instead of purple as the base in my closet. So repping for the Black Mamba. I love it. Um, I was very impressed with his adversity this year. Absolutely on top of the fishing world early. Goes and win, gets a top 10, wins the next event, does well, does well again. And all of a sudden, there's no way he's not going to make the elites and then struggles in a few events in a row. And he's now on the outside looking in. We said it on the podcast. As far back as we think that can make the elite series is 17th by Ben Milliken, and he's got to get a top 10 to make it. And boy, in the final event of the season, you need a you need a top 10. You need that game-winning drive. You don't do what Justin Herbert just did to my Monday Night Football fantasy team and throw a pick on the second play. You you charge down the field and score like Tom Brady would, and Ben Milliken did that. So, absolutely kudos. Um, I hope he opened the eyes, and I want to offer encouragement as well. He knows this, but his fan, it's not going to be easy. The Elite Series is not going to be easy. I hope you harness the hot streak, and I hope you take it through next year. That would be the funnest thing in the world to watch unfold on your social medias, on Bass, everywhere. Um, representing for who you know and love and and companies and things like that. It's not always going to be easy. And so um, I, I know that Ben loves it fishing because I know that 
this wasn't an easy thing to put himself out there to the world to fish these tournaments. <laughs> There's a lot of eyeballs waiting for him to fail. And when he succeeded, absolutely. Uh, like I said, there's probably people like me who are indifferent. Uh, you know, it's just another name in the field. When they, whoever proves it, we'll cover whoever catches them and we'll talk about them. He caught them and absolutely uh, not shocked the world, but man, captivated the fishing industry. So at a boy, uh, Ben Milliken on, on doing that. And so I look forward to, man, starting out in Toledo and Fork. I don't think he's going to have a spinning rod on the deck or anything under eight inches long. <laughs> he's going to be loaded for bear. Yeah, you got to give him a, a lot of credit. I, I'll piggyback off what you're saying because, you know, it, it seems like it's pretty much a split crowd on that. Of course, I think I don't think I'm speaking out of terms to say that there were probably plenty of traditionalists, like guys that have been doing this for a long time, guys that have been fans of the sport for a long time, that were almost like rooting against him in the sense that, like, you know, you don't want to see that guy have success. But then, obviously, his fans and his you know, his following is insane, but I mean, at the end of the day, dude's a competitor. Like you, he proved that like, there's no questioning. There's I, I'm, I'm like you, I, I don't, it doesn't really make me any difference either way. Um, but like, if nothing else, you have to tip your hat to how much of a competitor he is. I mean, there was time, you know, like you said, obviously with a few events left, it looked like, you know, that fire had fizzled out. I mean, you could, you could go back early on in the season and find, you know, obviously where he won that event and did well in the first few events, you could you could make a whole album of uh, comments that didn't age well based on like before the last two events. But then he comes back, at, like I said, as a competitor and, you know, proves everybody, depending on what side you're on, I guess, everybody right or wrong. I mean, he, he literally goes out there and just lets lets it speak for himself. So big kudos to him. I think that certainly needs to be addressed because, um, yeah, I mean, there was plenty of people. I'm I'm sure that we're just assuming he was already out of it and they were already celebrating uh, that he was out of it. And Hello, he wasn't having it, so. 20 pounds on Big. day one. <laughs> What's up? Yeah, huge. I'm back. Huge tip and very, I'll very this, impressive. I don't, I don't like the big baits. I'm, that's not my style. I wouldn't choose that. I wouldn't negate to that. So oftentimes when I see people die on the water, not die like, you know, deceased RIP, but like when their tournament, when their tournament goes to crap because they're doing that, I'm like, what? Duh. Like, you know, the risk versus reward, it's high and it's as high as it gets and as low as it gets. You got to find a way to balance it. We didn't see him die with a big bait on that final day of the opens. He goes and picks up a drop shot, picks up a big shaky worm and a brush pile catching the fish. When the previous day he had busted 20 pounds on a big bait, absolutely knows when to pick it up knows when to put it down and that's gonna what's that's what's gonna make him deadly on the elite series no um, doubt. so no doubt. there's our there's our uh monologue dialogue about our nine elite series qualifiers there's gonna be a couple guys that won't say a bunch tyler williams he laughs like john cox he's he's giggly like brandon cobb um not super talkative on his own you got to kind of get him talking wesley gore very quiet reserved to himself absolutely determined uh so i absolutely am, am impressed and excited for the nine guys who were there and i'm absolutely impressed i got to talk to kenta kamira on the water uh after the ozarks event and i'm super proud of his determination coming to the u.s grinding through the opens like he did making the elite series and then finding traction how he has fishing as much as he is 
absolutely one of the one of the goats in making uh especially for the japanese angling community so kyle uh only thing we have to do now is go over the elite series or the open season for next year's anglers who are pursuing the elite series so the 2024 bassmaster open season that dropped the schedule did just a few weeks ago uh and here we go let's talk about uh, all nine stops and what we kind of expect early with the predicted weather patterns and location regionally and, and the excitement behind it. Let's look at next year's open schedule and uh, and and kind of talk about, I guess, each division, but also the overall scope of the opens, because I think this is a fantastic um, open schedule. So when I'll we save look, you. go ahead. I'll save you the trouble. I only care about one of the opens tournaments. Um, it's on your home light. I get yeah, it. Yeah, there's one that I care about, and to be honest, the other ones I take them or leave them. <laughs> so let's kick it off then. Okeechobee, uh, first week of February. There's going to be a bunch of tournaments around that time period, like normal. But the Bassmaster Opens returns to Okeechobee. Haven't been there in quite a long time for the Opens. I know we just had an elite there, but the Opens is a whole different class of field and anglers. Um, should be good. There's still just a few couple areas on the lake that produce fish with clean water. Um, but that obviously is ever changing. Depends on how cold or how warm February is for Okeechobee that it could be a difference. Now let's get to Lake Wachita. Wachita is your home body of water in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, I'm glad to see us there. We haven't been there since like 2002 when Greg Hackney won like an open there. It's been a long time for Lake Wachita. Tell me a little bit about what we should expect Right after Valentine's Day, I fished a BFL there a few years ago. I, let's just say I was throwing a crankbait up the river, and it was touching the bottom on the final day of practice. And when I woke up and fished there the first day of the tournament, uh, it wasn't touching the bottom anymore because the water rose that much from rain. So it can definitely change a lot in February at Watchdog. We could have snow. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's definitely going to be cold, I imagine. Uh, you know, it'll be fair weather. I mean, it's not going to be like, you know, Florida in, in February where you might be, you know, enjoying the warmth. I don't think you're going to have that at all. Uh, <laughs> the one thing that I've said to people over and over again during, um, you know, the last week or so being asked about this tournament is that I don't really know what to expect without A-Rigs. So, like, what I mean by that is, like, all the local tournaments, I mean, you could guarantee – if there was a hundred boat tournament on Lake Washtenaw during those those time periods, and it was like a Trader Bills tournament or you know who, whoever may be putting the tournament on, Mr. Bass, locally, whatever. Yeah, locally, I mean, it would be one on a rig, and I would bet just about anything I owned that it would be one on a rig. That being said, it is a really good live scope lake that time of the year. Uh, to be honest, that was one of the first places I really got to see live scope in action. Um, I think guys will bust them doing that. You get some of the best, you know, live scopers, honestly, let's be realistic, in the world, you know, coming through the opens. Um, I think guys will crack them doing that. But like you said, they'll still be a shallow-ish bite. I wouldn't necessarily say it's going to be like, unless you get some rain and some warm days that really push some fish shallow. I mean, you, you're you pretty much guaranteed it's going to be like deep suspended fish, uh, deep brush piles, points, things of that nature. But it is very, very interesting. Kind of imagine we've talked about this before, but kind of imagine like Lake Hartwell almost in a way it's very similar to that. No blueback herring, but the fish act very similarly, very deep, clear water, nomadic fish. They chase bait. Um, should be a really, really interesting tournament. Yeah. I'm excited to see Wachita, um, especially, you know, I'm not going to say for certain anything, but it's always on the table 
we thought it was on the table this year to be able to do multiple opens other than the final three live. But who knows if next year we have, you know, three opens live, but it's not the last three. It's mixed in throughout. Or if we do all nine live the final day or we do five or six of the lot, we may see some of these early uh, spring tournaments in play there, especially if they don't they're not going to conflict with the elite series schedule. They'll be on a different weekend than that, but especially uh, having the opportunity to see some of these different lakes. Um, I might even be down there for the weigh-ins. Who knows if we don't do live checking out Wachita, I will not come out of retirement for photography probably because it could be raining and terribly snowy. I remember in 2021 when we were going to have the Ray Roberts classic uh, and that was when it snowed 15 inches in little rock and Dallas was frozen over Fort worth was frozen over and we had to move it to June because everything was just wrecked by that storm. And that was February 15th, 2021. So I'm not saying the starting day one, we're going to have 15 inches of snow watched all, but <laughs> we do get snow in February at times, um, whether it's a dusting or a bunch. Then we go to what could be the absolute smash fest of smash fest of smash fests at Santee Cooper first week of March, roughly. That could be one that is like a Toledo bend this past year where we set records or it, ha it scares the heck out of some records um, when it comes to full field weight, when it comes to winning weight, big bag, giant bass, something like that. Santee Cooper first week of March. We should definitely see uh, something about that um, on the record books. Yeah, I think that will certainly be a good one. Obviously, uh, two years ago, what happened there? Similar time frame, I think kind of speaks for itself. Um I would imagine, you know, the one thing I will say, let's say we do get like a really good wave of fish spawning similar to what we had two years ago. Who knows if that'll happen or not, but let's say that is the case. It'll be really interesting to see that many boats trying to deal with sight fish because that is uh, something we don't get to see all that often. Um, and I think that it, it does seem to be, granted, I, I understand when I say this, Luke Palmer won the event you know, using live scope to some degree, obviously, you know, still flipping trees, old school fishing, but using live scope to do that. Uh, outside of him, I would say it's one of the few lakes that we've gone to of recent that like live scope in general, like in its traditional sense, off the bank fishing for suspended fish doesn't really play as much. Like I remember watching guys there at the tournament this year, um, trying to do that. And none of them had success. I think you have to kind of fish the bank and, and, you know, kind of just an old school setup to be honest i think that's the way that place sets up and uh it will be like i said really interesting if there's a big wave of spawners uh coming up because it is it is a very 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 good sight sight fishing lake uh but i'm interested to see what that will turn out to be in some of those areas that were crowded during the elite series tournaments i imagine during an open will be extremely crowded so that will be uh an interesting thing to keep an eye on one thing is you can spread out a little bit on Santee. You can go way up the river in the swamp area. And the one thing with eelgrass coming back into this lake this year, you could see the guts of some of these creeks have grass in them and hold fish, something for those fish to sit out on if they're not up on a tree or these wide expanses down in uh, Moultrie, you know, that, that has, you know, open area. If it's got grass, uh, that's something for them to hold on. That's not on the bank as well. So maybe we'll see some of that. Uh, maybe some extra pre-spawn fish, maybe Paul Mueller's style of fishing down in the bottom lake, uh, offshore. Maybe that's the thing. We'll keep an eye on all of that. Uh, then we take a two month break. First week of May, we come to Logan Martin Lake, not far from where you currently live, Lincoln, Alabama. 
Uh, we've been to Logan Martin before when Justin Atkins won in the fall and he did it fishing, you know, out in the middle of the river channel, caught about 99 fish in a row on a shaky head and to win that event. Um, what do you think about Logan Martin in May? I think obviously it could be around that time. We saw Neely Henry could be around the time we saw lay Lake uh, where you could have fish coming off the bed. You could have shad spawn going on. You could have early summer patterns happening depending on current flow, but it is up on Logan Martin. A lot more spotted bass will probably be displayed than we saw at lay, um, but definitely both species in play. Yeah, no question. I think that, this will be one of the more interesting tournaments. One, just because I, I love Logan Martin. It's my favorite lake since I moved uh, here to Alabama. Um, so I, I was super pumped to see it on the schedule. But naturally, the one thing that's weird about Logan Martin, it is a drawdown and a, you know, I guess draw up. I don't know if we call it that or not, but it's a drawdown lake. And the water doesn't come up till late, later. Like, I, I don't want to say the exact dates. It might even be after the, the you know this tournament happens and from my experience what's crazy is everything can be right for those fish to spawn water temperature longer days i mean everything can be right warm temperatures and a lot of those fish do not spawn until that water comes up so it it, it extends the pre-spawn period out a lot of those fish sit there and sit there and stage um which makes it really interesting i think that that will be a good time of the year to fish there regardless um, I think by the time you get to early May on the Coosa, just about anywhere, um, you're going to have fish that will eat a topwater. Um, you know, I don't know. The grass situation probably won't be much of anything at Logan Martin that time of the year because it's not been up one at all or two for long enough. But, um, you know, some exciting ways to catch them for, sur for sure. But like you said, there's plenty of places on that lake that you can catch spotted bass, you know, fishing off the bank, fishing current seams, things of that nature. So, um Really an interesting lake. That'll be a grinder for sure as far as the weights are concerned. But uh, to me, it breaks up the, you know, like you said, a slugfest there at Santee Cooper and then to Logan Martin where you kind of have to grind it out, even though the fishing might be pretty good. Yeah, and then we'll go to Lake Eufaula in Oklahoma, really the first time since 99 that we had ever had a Bassmaster event there. And it wasn't even like a full-blown national uh, event in 99. This was the first year we got to go to Eufaula. We saw how many fish got caught, the areas. Um, maybe in late June, we will have uh, some different conditions. But were you at the event for Eufaula, Oklahoma? You I was not. not. Joe, I know I Joey Nania won it, uh, you know, in his Ned Meeky, um, you know, fishing, forward-facing sonar type fish. We'll keep an eye on late June, how that acts. June seems like a tough time for a lot of lakes. But it seems like a really good time for Lake Eufaula, Oklahoma. Um, it's a it's a time of the year where I've talked, you know, where we've said you could fish shallow, you could fish deep, um, and all be able to do it. You could have dirty water and clean water. Um, we've got a familiar destination for the next one, which is Lake St. Clair. Stop number six, I believe, of the nope, stop number five. No, wait, how many? One, two, three, four, five. No, it is six. Yeah. Stop number six of the open season for 2024, St. Clair, mid-July, July 11th through the 13th. Uh, we should see much of the same that we saw this year probably. That was late July for this one, but it should be closer to smallmouth spawning, but it shouldn't be full-blown spawn. They should be shallower, maybe not way out in the lake. Depends on where the biomass is, I guess, Kyle, because the biomass was up in Anchor Bay this past year for the elites. If, they, if the biomass isn't up in Anchor Bay and it's somewhere else, we'll see another hot spot show up. 
Yeah, that should be an interesting one, of course, um, based on what we saw this last year in the elites, like you said, with Anchor Bay, just basically taking up 95% of the field. Um, when you factor in, if that if that plays again the same way it did for the elites, uh, you're doubling the amount of boats in the same general area. So uh, it could be a little bit of merry-go-round or, you know, however, musical chairs, whatever you want to call it. But uh, the one thing about Lake St. Clair is the fact that it always shows out and it seems like we talked about this year a ton, like it just seemed to have gotten better somehow, um, even though it seemed like a giant population of the fish were concentrated in one area. So um, they'll, th- that'll be a fantastic tournament, I think, to to kick off the northern swing, if you want to call it that, uh, for smallmouth events. I think that'll be a great one to start it out on. Yeah, and I think that, you know, even if the biomass is in Anchor Bay and everybody wants to be in there, you're not actually able to be in there with that many boats. I am pretty sure half the field will have to be like, you know what, I want to be in here. I can't be in here. I got to go up to Lake Huron. I got to go down to Lake Erie. I got to go over to the Canada side of St. Clair. I'm going to be in the rivers, whether it's the St. Clair, the Detroit River. I'm going to go down to the to the state road, you know, the mile markers down there. Uh, I think that they they do have a really good chance to show us a good view of St. Clair with how many boats and, and doing that. Uh, then we go to a place that we have never been to in Bassmaster competition, Leech Lake. August 22nd to the 24th. This one is super exciting. I know our most recent college classic bracket champion, Easton Fothergill, is probably excited about Leech Lake because Leech Lake is near his home of Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan up there. This one is out of Walker, Minnesota. Um, Did I say Grand Rapids, Michigan? Grand Rapids, Minnesota. There is a Grand Rapids, Michigan. But uh, over in Minnesota, Walker, Minnesota is where Leech Lake is. I've heard everything from you're going to see half the top 10 with forward facing sonar and half the top 10 with grass and a flipping stick catching largemouth. Um, I think both species play here and it's cool to see a brand new destination at minimum. If we do what we've been doing, we should have Bassmaster live for this event um, and be able, be able to, you know, open it up to the world on how cool and good Leech Lake is. Yeah. It's one of the lakes that when you looked at the schedule, um, you know, for me, obviously, it was like Washtop being the most excited, but it seemed like Leech Lake got a ton of buzz because we've talked about this Midwest invasion of of anglers. Obviously, you guys talked about it a lot on live throughout the college bracket, but um, it's one of the the sneaky good lakes up there. Obviously, land of 10,000 lakes, of course, like we mentioned the other day, but um, I'm super good buddies with Bo Browning. He went up there this summer uh, to actually fish with Easton for like several weeks or a couple weeks, seems like. And I want to say they went to Leech Lake and he mentioned this was weeks and weeks ago that that was one of his favorite lakes that they fished, if not his favorite. Um, so that, you know, I'm excited to see what that's all about. Obviously, all those lakes seem to be so good um, when you compare them to some of the southern lakes that just get beat up all year. Uh, makes you excited to go somewhere like that where there's a lot of diversity, a lot of fish and uh, seems to be a lot of fun, you know, how you catch them as well. What year is Bo? in school i uh, will be a senior I senior year could we see him in the eqs i mean you got watchtaw on there and then you got leach and you got some of these other places he's probably been to hartwell and santee you know who knows we might we might see some college guys decide to jump in it i don't want to steal any of his thunder but i wouldn't i wouldn't uh i wouldn't count against it let's put it that way <laughs> we'll see what happens but i wouldn't yeah. i wouldn't bet against it uh excited about leach like you said, the Midwest invasion, we should see a ton of Wisconsin and Minnesota anglers with St. Clair, at least in this division, St. Clair, 
Leech Lake and uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin for the Mississippi River. That's the eighth stop of the open season next year. And it's late or mid-September. This is a time I believe we were there for the Elite Series. I'll just say this. I think like two weeks ago, so that would be mid-September, I saw a two-day, maybe it was a BFL Super or something like that at the Mississippi River. It was like 19 pounds a day won it. So I don't want to hear this like 13 to 15 pounds gets it done at Mississippi. Mid-September, I don't know if the water level was higher than it had been because water level is always a worry there. If it's a little lower, it's a little tougher. Water level being higher maybe or whatever the case may be, they caught the crap out of them weight-wise for a mid-September Super Regional. So we'll keep an eye on the Mississippi River. We know what to expect there. It's going to be super fun. And uh, the opportunity to lock late in the season, Kyle, EQ points, qualification on the line. Do you stay in the lacrosse pool? Do you go up to Onalaska? Do you go down to, um, what's the, it starts with an ST, uh, Stoddard. Do you go down to Stoddard into that pool, seven, eight, and nine? There's plenty of options, and there's also the risk and reward that can go with that. Drama for days. Uh, <laughs> certainly, certainly one of my favorite places to cover a tournament. Uh, I've only been there once, but I, I swear to this day, I've said that it might be my favorite place that we've gone. Um, just really cool area. Certainly a cool time of the year um, to be up there. The fishing is really exciting. There's so much, um, like you said, drama that could potentially happen in that tournament. And then also, you know, it's just the way the Mississippi River is, but just the way the guys catch them is so fun. Um, obviously, you know, even the way they fish for smallmouth, the way they fish the grass, I mean, fishing, it's it's all over the place, but it's so much fun to watch. And, and like you said, late in the EQ season, I think that sets up really, really nicely for a uh, a fun event to watch. Probably a stressful event for guys fishing it for sure. Truly one of those places where when you find the cast in the in the area, the, the vast abyss, if you find the cast, you could catch both species, you could catch 30 in a row, and you could have your just the most fun day of fishing possible. Then we end the open season. It'll all come down and be decided at Lake Hartwell in Anderson, South Carolina, a place that we've been quite a bit. We've been there in the fall, I think, 2020. I think we had Jason Christie on Bassmaster Live on that final day. Uh, I think Patrick Walters won that event. That was right before Walters went down to Fork and destroyed some some weight records there in terms of winning margin. Uh, those so he had a couple wins in the fall of 2020, uh, and we should see some some of the same mid October, um, the same week of the year that basically we've had the uh, final open of the season. We had the Harris Chain of Lakes uh, this year, second week of October. Same case, same can be said for Lake Hartwell for this event. Uh, excited. For this one, because when you have spotted bass, clear water, the opportunity for the fall for top water or deep fishing, there is a variety of things you can do. And we should see almost all of the lake play, but definitely that main lake portion right from Green Pond Landing right there down to, you know, the dam. But the whole main drag should definitely be a factor. Yeah, I'm super anxious to watch this one. Obviously, like you said, uh, when you think of fall, I, I think of that tournament the Walters won. And to me, that's a perfect time of the year for schooling fish, top water, very visually appealing uh, ways to catch them. So uh, you want it on that, a fluke? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That for that to be the the final event of the season, uh, super exciting. And uh, obviously, we love um, Lake Hartwell. And you said we've been there. Have we been there before? I feel like we've never been to to Lake Hartwell or anything. You know, if you uh, 
have been in a coma, you you maybe don't know much about Lake Hartwell, but it is a very common stop on the Bassmaster Tournament Trail, and we see it all the time, but it's not just elites. Like, we see the elites around April time period. We see in the Opens um, in the fall. I think, when did we? School um, championship in the middle of July. Or yeah, high school championship. August. Obviously, we've had other events, and then, and then uh, Neil Paul and the folks there at Anderson have done a great job of the economy boost that that has brought. I'm going to go ahead and assume October 10th through the 12th, there is no Clemson home game uh, for football because normally we're not allowed to have an open in that region of the country when there's a Saturday and they're, and then they're right there up the road wearing their orange. So uh, just a little, just a little uh, college football schedule preview there too. Um, Well, Kyle, that's the 2024 open schedule. That's just us kind of scratching the surface on it a little bit. other than Wachita, which one are you looking forward to? Wachita and Leach. Give me a third one that you're really looking forward to um, the most. Um, I would say Logan Martin. Like I said, okay. um, that's certainly one of my favorite lakes to um, – that whole division. Obviously, you have Wachita, Logan Martin, and the third one I, is Ufala, I want to say, in that that division. Um, that is like if – you know. I don't fish anymore when I work at Bassmaster, <laughs> so I don't get to fish anymore like you do. But um, if, I, if I was ever just going to jump in an opens division, that would be it because I love Wash Tots, my home lake. Uh, since moving to Alabama, like I said, Logan Martin's like probably my favorite lake to fish just because you can go and catch a bunch of fish. There's a ton of fish in that lake. It's, it's very similar. I've said a lot of times to Lake Hamilton, another one of my home lakes, obviously there in Hot Springs. Um and you know you fall i don't know a ton about of course well, i've been there a couple of times but um that's just to me that whole division is so cool uh but if i had to pick a third i'd say logan martin i'm anxious to see how that one plays out i'm really looking forward to uh the leech lake event uh i'm really looking forward to if i if i had to go and copy you i would say Wachita as well just because it's down the street um and it's it's more familiar and we haven't really had many Bassmaster tournaments there um, I really am looking forward to the Santee Cooper one. That could be a really fun explosion. Oftentimes the opens anglers, they don't get shafted, but they, they get tough, um, difficult fishing conditions or fisheries, you know? And so, uh, for the chance to that be a wide open big bass event is, is kind of a, a pleasure and a reward. And then obviously the Mississippi river, man, I, I'm, I'm excited to see that, especially if that's slated to be live. Uh, to watch that go down. So a couple of those lakes definitely intrigue me. And I've been to Minnesota plenty fishing. I've never been to Leech, but uh, if it fishes like a mixture of any of those lakes I've been up there, it should be a great one. So Kyle, there's the 2024 St. Croix Bassmaster open schedule uh, for the EQ race to qualify for the elites and the classic. We'll keep an eye on them more. And we've got plenty off season, like you said, about 10 days worth. We maybe will do some more in-depth look of the uh, open schedule in the future as well. But um on this episode of the podcast uh we're your hosts ronnie moore and kyle jesse we'll see you in the next one